made for autistic people, parents and carers of kids on the autism spectrum. This is a different brilliant with Orion Kelly. No two autistic people are the same. Open conversations that inform and engage world's better place for autistic An people. aspect podcast focusing on the strengths, interests and aspirations of the autistic community. Welcome to a different brilliant. I'm your host, Orion Kelly, and I'm autistic. My purpose is to inspire, inform, and entertain you through focusing on the strengths, interests, and aspirations of the autistic community. Open, honest, and engaging conversations on autism. A different brilliant with Orion Kelly. To learn more, catch up on the episodes, or send us a message. Like the Aspect page on Facebook or visit autismspectrum.org.au. Hey, welcome to Season 2. And on this episode, the premiere episode of Season 2, we explore the topic of autistic inclusion and the involvement of autistic people in decisions that impact the autistic community. My guest is Tori Ha. Tori is Aspect's very first autistic director and the founding member of Aspects Advisory Council. Hey, Tori, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, great to be here, Ryan. Tori, congratulations. As the first autistic member of Aspects Board of Directors, I'd love for you to share with us your journey to not only reaching such an important role, but really, I guess, your your autistic journey. Yeah, sure thing. This kind of board chapter is pretty new in the grand scheme of things. I've only been a member of the board since December, though it took a little while for us to get there. But I guess I'm what you would call an early late diagnosis in that I was able to get my diagnosis in my early 20s, which depending on who you talk to is either early or late because it's not too late, I guess, for a female autistic person of my age because obviously we're getting better at picking people up younger over time. So I did also grow up with a sibling who was recognized and identified as being on the spectrum a little bit younger than I was. So from probably mid-teenage years, I kind of had an inkling that it reached a point in my life where I'm someone that likes to know about things one way or the other, so I self-referred to get a diagnosis. Yep, went in there and argued why I didn't think I was autistic and came out with a diagnosis. (laughs) It's probably not everyone's experience, but probably not the only one who's had that kind of experience either and (laughs) went through the typical thing that some autistic women in particular go through of having a few psychs tell you why on earth would you want to be autistic and have something wrong with you that can't be fixed. But thankfully, over time, people are getting a little bit less ignorant. It is a really interesting experience that I can relate to, the idea that you get to adulthood and people are kind of like, well, hang on. I mean, you've kind of made it, right? You've you've made it to adulthood. It looks like you're doing okay, you know, got a job and blah, 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 all this stuff. Why on God's name would you want to get a diagnosis for something that really, I mean, what's the difference? I mean, you've made it this far. And I don't think it's something you can explain to people. The only way I can really explain it 
is, well, the difference between getting one and not getting one for me personally was I'm just a bad person. People just don't like me and that's my fault. I just don't fit in. I just wasn't born to be part of this world. I mean, these are really bad things to think about yourself. So the difference in a diagnosis is, oh, okay, I'm just different. So it doesn't matter how old you are. I think if it was the day before I knew I was going to die, I'd still get one. You know, it just, it, it really does have a, prof- well, it had a profound impact on me and, and my journey in life. Oh, for sure. I think it's important for people to feel like they can seek out a diagnosis, whatever age they are, if it's something that's useful for them. Get a diagnosis for yourself. You don't get it for the benefit of other people, even though that might be something that happens to come along with it. Once I did get the diagnosis, the couple of people I told initial were actually really negative and dismissive about it. And that led me on this whole further soul searching journey of processing it and what it means and whether I was going to accept it for myself or not. And then I kind of just reached a point where I was like, well, I can either live in denial of this thing that is very obviously a core and pervasive part of who I am and embrace it and embrace who I am and try and use my skills, experiences to benefit, you know, not just myself, but other people around me. Or I can just live in denial of this whole thing and just struggle all my life and one of those things sounded a whole lot better than the other. <laughs> What's been your long-term involvement with, with Aspect? Well, how'd you get there and what, what things have you been doing? Over time, just through meeting people at different events and things, you kind of get to know people who do the conference and events autism circuit. And I also ended up working for the Autism CRC, which is probably a long enough story that it'd take the old whole interview so I won't tell it in this instance through those experiences I kind of peripherally got to know Adrian the previous CEO a little bit and that meant that when Adrian had this great idea after going on this trip meeting with different organizations in the UK he came out with this idea of we want to do this advisory council of autistic people to input into what aspect does and how we do things and I got a phone call from Adrian asking if I wanted to be one of the people. It's just mind-blowing the time that you've spent advocating and being a part of all these things since diagnosis and it shows the amount of time and work you've put into it prior to reaching the board but I have to ask the question because to me it's one of the first things that I thought, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but why has it taken so long for Aspect to put an autistic person on the board of directors? I mean, it's an organisation for the autistic community. Yeah, I guess it's looking at it in what we know today and what our understanding of autism is. It's really easy to think that and, you know, you could perhaps make an argument for why it should have been done a bit sooner, but back 50 years ago when Aspect was founded, it was founded by a group of parents who weren't able to get services for their kids that were diagnosed with this really rare and scary disorder that no one knew about. The organisation has evolved from there to be Australia's largest autism-specific 
service provider and one of the biggest providers of autism specific education in the world, I think. But there's a lot of steps along that journey and a lot of growth that happens. And coinciding with the growth that happens in the organisation, there was an evolving understanding of what autism is and how diverse our community is. So I think it's taken some time for autistic people who are adults to know that they're autistic for it to even be a possibility to consider them being involved in things and you know we're seeing now or have been seeing in the last five years or so more organizations for autistic people that have been founded by autistic people so I think it's something that history has just evolved in its understanding but it's also something where particularly in the case of Aspect, because it's a big organisation having that kind of cultural change of changing how you think about something, and in this case, autistic people and the structure of Aspect, and that it's more than just being the people that are provided the services and need help. That's not a shift that necessarily happens for everyone overnight and takes some time and takes some thinking about how it can work. So there was this idea, I think, of having an autistic board member for quite some time. But there's also a great deal of responsibility that comes with that. You don't want to just do it for the sake of it and have a token person. You want to do it well. And in terms of being part of a board of an organisation which has the number of different things that Aspect's involved in, that has the sheer dollar amount of turnover that Aspect does, it's a pretty complicated thing. And there's no get out of jail free card for being a board member that has a disability. You know, it's hopefully something that will continue to evolve and become more normal. And obviously that's something that you'd want to do. But being the first takes a little bit of effort, not just from your perspective of being the first person, but the organisation more broadly. 100%. But you're there now and that's what's good. We're happy with that. But the question is, from your point of view, it's kind of like, I guess, a, a politician who's been elected to parliament for the first time. What are you most excited about? What are your top priorities as a member of the board? Well, to start with, being a responsible person and wanting to do a good job, my first priority is just working on upskilling and getting my head around some of the things that Aspect does and some of the areas that it's involved with in which I'm less familiar. I haven't been involved in the running and governance of schools before, aside from you know the general being part of your student council which you don't really get much of a say as to more than what the theme is of casual day as a <laughs> high school committee member so first off is making sure that I'm doing what I need to do to understand what I need to understand and contribute to what I need to contribute but I'm not the only person that's in the room because I care about autistic people and want the services and the things that are aspect are doing to be the right things and to keep being more inclusive and more in line with giving people the best lives that we can. You've got to weigh up, do we try and do this new thing or do we try and do this thing that we have been doing in a different way or better? There's lots of things to weigh up and it's just more than having specific top priorities. It's making sure that everything that Aspect is doing is for the benefit of autistic people and doing it the best that we can and having input 
wherever possible and, and helping that continuously improve, I guess. And that makes sense. I mean, I guess a good top priority could be potentially, uh, you know, approving a pay rise for your podcast host. I mean, that's just one thing you could put on your list. Uh, anyway, let's let's move on. Now, Tori, we want to unpack the aspect mission, okay, to include input from the autistic community at all levels. So, okay, it's a great slogan, but could you unpack it for us? Tell us what that actually means from a point of view of how the organisation will do that. That's really a big question because obviously part of the role of that comes down to the board, part of it comes down to people who are in management, part of it comes down to the teacher's aide who is working with these three particular autistic kids at Aspect South East Sydney School on a particular day. And really it a lot of it's the cultural shift of getting everyone to think about how autistic people can be included in stuff as just a natural part of their thinking, which is the thing that takes time. You can have all these policies and procedures that you want, but you want it to be people's first thought rather than being an afterthought. And it's, you know, that that involves some intentional initiatives. I know that there's lots of thinking going into how we can have more autistic people working at Aspect and how we can make that a positive experience and how we can make it that people are involved in a variety of jobs that are of interest of them, not that we're just going to suddenly have a computer programming and bug finding division of Aspect because that's the stereotype of where autistic people are suited for jobs. It's important that people are included at different levels of the organisation and having input onto different things because not everyone has expertise in everything and neither should they. And I think it's really important that not just you're asking autistic people to have input, but you're asking the right autistic people who have relevant things to bring to whatever we're talking about. Like one of the things that Aspect's done since having the council is there's now um, a student council for the Aspect schools where there wasn't before. And there's the Think Tank, which is a group of autistic adults that provide input on more day-to-day things. There's the Advisory Council, which gives input to the board and the executive team. And that includes autistic people being involved in the strategic planning activities of Aspect. But one of the core strategies that Aspect has is work in partnership with people on the autism spectrum. And it's the first core strategy. And it's very specifically people on the autism spectrum and not people on the autism spectrum and their families, because it's an acknowledgement that we've been involving the families for as long as Aspect's been around because it was started by families but it's an acknowledgement that there needs to be an intentional effort to better include autistic people themselves. I couldn't agree more. And I'm lucky enough to be on a a relatively newly established uh, working group on communication. So the way the the organisation communicates, you know, with the the people through media and and that kind of stuff. So it's really interesting to be a part of, but I, I, I take your point and I agree. And I think the key thing, as you're saying, is the contributions need to be meaningful. We, we need to find ways where autistic people can provide meaningful contributions right across. And those conversations need to take place at the right time so that they can actually have an impact. It may not always work to have that conversation at step one. You might need a framework of what a particular initiative might look like first, but it needs to be more than just 
saying, yes, I think the language of this particular piece of writing is appropriate for the autistic community or no, these are the couple of things that I'd change. That's right. That's, yeah. Well, that's absolutely right. This talks to our next point, which is as an autistic person, what do you believe as we move forward into this new era, a lot of people being diagnosed later in life, what are the key benefits of including autistic voices in aspects work? Because from what I'm getting from what you're saying, it's all about evolving and becoming an organisation of the day. Yeah, or I guess even trying to be a bit more progressive than that and trying to be an organisation that's on the front foot of trying to evolve and being intentional about it rather than waiting for everyone else to do the hard work and then playing catch up. But a lot of it just comes down to building those relationships and being willing to have people come to you and say, these things about how we went about this weren't ideal for me. And these are some thoughts about how it could be better next time or for the next person that you ask about this sort of thing. But before you even get into the key benefits, it's just the right thing to do. It's respectful. If you're an organization that is providing services to the autistic community that the autistic community are involved in how that happens and making sure that it is respectful and inclusive. Yeah. And that doesn't mean you can have an autistic person sitting there in every meeting or every conversation that ever happens at Aspects, but it means that you have autistic people involved in a lot of the important stuff to yeah. make sure that we're all heading in the right direction. And that's a philosophy we of, that we know of called nothing about us without us really isn't that that's the philosophy behind that which is regards to keeping people involved in the key decisions that affect them yeah and that's a term that's you know not just limited to the autistic community but has been kind of a catch cry of the disability community since the 90s and it's something where it has to be active you can't just rest on your laurels and say we talk to autistic people at this point in time Therefore, whatever we do in the years after that on that particular thing is going to be fine. You've got to keep checking in and having those conversations. And it's not about just the structures and the bigger programs and the fancy things that go on the website. It's the day-to-day -day stuff of how autistic children and autistic adults who are in direct receipt of aspect services or see an ad for Walk for Autism, what that interaction is like and making sure that there's a openness and a respect in every conversation that happens and that it's focused on the person because person-centred practice is important. It's just basic human dignity, really. And that's probably one of the key benefits, the idea that you can get an insight you can't manufacture. You know, talking to autistic voices provides you with insights and experiences that you can't invent or manufacture. It's something you just have to hear. Yep. And no one of us has all of the experiences, but I'd be willing to bet that there's an autistic person that has a relevant set of skills and experiences for pretty much any situation. So there are certain situations that like that comms committee, you're much better placed to be on that than I am with my skill set and experiences. And, you know, there's autistic adults who are parents of autistic children that have what might be perceived as more significant support needs than are the people normally represented. And having conversations with those people is really important as a step towards including all different parts of the spectrum and the diverse community we have in some of those things, because I am limited in what I can say about how to make a 
sensory friendly classroom for a child who doesn't speak and communicates using an iPad and has really significant sound sensitivity because that isn't my personal experience. I can provide some general advice on that, but there are probably people who can provide some quite specific advice and who were those children at an earlier point in their life. You know, it's just an observation, but I'd love to hear your your thoughts on it. It just occurred to me, you're coming into uh, the board at a time probably that's never been experienced before at the organisation where it's going to become more the norm, where the board and uh, the management, the organisation will have to develop new skills on how to not only manage but lead and inspire a very eclectic group of people with regards to autistic people and neurotypical people working together as you bring more people into roles. It's really something that is, I guess, a new experience. Yeah, and I guess it's something where I think A lot of it's the attitude about keeping on listening and keeping on learning. In terms of my own development, last year I did an easy English course so that I'd have a bit more of an understanding about how to communicate to autistic people who happen to have an intellectual disability. And I know with the council, which I stepped down from at the end of last year, given that I was going to be on the board, I know that whenever there's a vacancy on that group, the discussion is around how can we add to the diversity of experience that's on this group of people? And that's what it's all about. In, in the end, that's what's going to make the organisation stronger. Now, from your career experiences, I, I just wanted to touch base with the other key stakeholders. So I guess putting aspect aside, including government, I guess there's other organisations and, and other levels. With regards to including autistic voices right across the landscape of, of stakeholders, how do you see the best practice approach looking what's the best practice approach for all the stakeholders with regards to including autistic voices in their inner workings well first off it's that whole thing of asking and not assuming and asking more than one autistic person sometimes we can be a bit black and white and be guided by our own experiences and not necessarily always aware of needs that we don't personally have, but a reasonably significant part of our community may. So, you know, if you're doing an audit of a museum or something like that, and your perception of the world is through a different lens and through a different amplifier than a lot of other people, then you're going to be pretty fixed on that part of making something accessible. But there might be other people who would have really useful things to say about you know, how to make the menu more accessible or how to make the maps and the layout make more sense. So I think a lot of it's just coming down to being open about having those conversations. It's knowing that louder and busier isn't always better. I'm pretty sure that there are people who are relieved whenever the speakers aren't working at the supermarket and you're not being blared with loud noise and people who aren't autistic who possibly choose which clothing shops they go into based on whether they're the ones that play loud music or or the ones that burn incense or not. So I think a lot of what we need people to know is that a lot of the things that make the world more accessible for our community, a lot of other people, whether they're autistic or not, actually also benefit from. And I think even making things more accessible for the autistic community, a lot of times provides an additional benefit to the wider community. So it works on so many different levels. And I guess that's why our conversation is so important. We really have to understand and and acknowledge the importance 
of autistic voices in really right across the landscape. And I, and I guess we've got a, we've got a ways to go, haven't we? Oh, always. And even if we reached whatever we set as the goal for today, then there'd be more things and different things that we'd realise once we got there. Absolutely. Well, Tori, congrats again on your appointment uh, to the Board of Aspect. Uh, Best of luck with the role and thank you so much for the chat today. Really appreciate it. No worries and best of luck with the podcast. I'm sure you're going to have lots of interesting things to talk about because there's lots going on. My guest was the first autistic member of Aspect's Board of Directors, Tori Ha. A A Different brilliant. Brilliant with Orion Kelly. Thank you so much for listening to A Different Brilliant. I really do appreciate it. Now, if the episode has resonated with you, please share it with your family and friends so we can reach more people. And if you'd like to continue the conversation, well, you can just like the Aspect page on Facebook or visit autismspectrum.org.au. You're also welcome to send me a message via my website, oriankelly.com.au. A Different Brilliant is an Aspect podcast. Executive producers are Lisa Cassidy, Dr. Tom Tutton, and Julie Fenwick. I'm Orion Kelly. Thanks for listening to A Different Brilliant with Orion Kelly, an Aspect podcast on the strengths, interests, and aspirations of the autistic community. Our door is open anytime. So like the Aspect page on Facebook or visit autismspectrum.org.au. My aim, make the world a better place for autistic people.